last episode, we talked about Pong and its effect on the video game market and its spawning and uh, real create uh, contribution to the Atari company and the legacy of what Atari became. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about the next of Atari's successes, which is Breakout. Now, Breakout was a success for Atari and for the video game industry, but it's also a success and it also ends up contributing to another company that we're all very familiar with these days, uh, but had an interesting start and might not have had the start that you might think for a company that is so successful and so big and such an important name today. So we're going to talk about Atari and Breakout in this episode uh, as well. Now let's start quickly with a description of what Breakout is, what it kind of contributed to the industry, and how it became Atari's kind of next big success after Pong. Yeah, so Chris, Breakout is one of those games that I use to, the, to describe to a lot of school kids who might come into the exhibit, um, drawing lines to what they can see and physically touch in their hands right now, like they have it on their person. You know, back in, it's, I think it's 1975, Steve Jobs, you know, is in uh, California in the valley, in Silicon Valley, and he's just like this hippie dude, you know, he's just like this pot-smoking hippie dude. Uh, he took like a year off and he was in India, and he comes back to California, he's on some spiritual journey, he comes back, and then Al Alcorn and Nolan Bushnell hire him back. To Atari and they want him to develop essentially a one-player Pong right because Pong is two players this is such a massive success he wants a one-player Pong so with breakout the object is you know there's a little line down the bottom of the screen the ball is then served and then you're hitting it back and forth onto a wall of bricks that then you're breaking brick by brick that's how you get through the levels um, the catch was with developing board sets and developing arcade games at that time was extremely expensive, right? So they, they, Jobs said to Bushnell and Alcorn, yeah, you know what? I'll do this. I, I can, I can do this. The catch was they had to have him keep it under 75 dedicated chips, on the board set because if Atari is normally going to ship, I don't know, eight, nine, 10,000 cabinets, repair costs, circuit board space, if they kept it under, you know, a certain amount, they're going to save hundreds of thousands of dollars on that just for, just in production costs alone. Okay. So, Nobody wants to build this game and keep it under that many chips because it's very, very difficult. Steve Jobs says, I'll do it, no problem, you know, and they're going to give him a bonus for it if he's under that certain amount of chips. So apparently Jobs had the entire idea in his head, put it down on paper, the whole thing was all sketched out. The entire game was sketched out, even how to program it, do it, everything, how to write it but he couldn't physically put it together. So he goes to his friend who's working in the Valley just down from them at Hewlett Packard, and that was Steve Wozniak. And he knows Wozniak can do this, can physically build it for him. Wozniak takes his design, builds it, 
and he removed like 50 chips from it. So the story goes that there is this huge bonus that Steve Jobs received for keeping it under a certain amount of chips and building this game. You know, he received this huge bonus from Atari. He only lets on to Wozniak that he got played, paid a, he, that he got paid a flat fee. So he only gives Wozniak like a tenth of the commission on this project. So he gives Wozniak like 500 bucks for all the work he's done. He takes the rest, which was could have been 5,000. There's, there, there's, there are stories of it being 5,000 to up to $30,000 of bonus money, right? On top of the initial payment. And what does he do with that money? He builds the first Apple computer in his garage. So that's how Atari begets Apple. That's how Atari, that's how Breakout begets the iPhone. So I say to tons of people, well, you, you know, you have an iPhone, they pull out of their pocket, they're standing next to Breakout, and I say, hey, you know, Breakout created that phone in a sense, you know? So that's kind of an interesting connection. That's something, again, so big today, Apple, that everybody knows and probably has or has had an Apple product can be traced all the way back to this company, Atari, which was big at the time, but doesn't really exist anymore. And uh, this game, Breakout, which most people wouldn't think of today. Um, also, that relationship between Wozniak and Jobs, which would continue similarly throughout much of uh, their careers, where uh, Steve Jobs gets a lot of the credit, but Wozniak was lead developer on the Apple II and the Macintosh, which were Apple's giant successes. So uh, interesting there that it all starts with Atari and with Breakout. And I think when Wozniak found out about it, like years later about that whole, that whole bonus thing, he actually ended up basically saying, he was like, well, don't mind now because he had all that stock in Apple, you know? And then when Apple blew up, blew up, he was like, I, whatever, I'm still a millionaire, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. So it's kind of a, it's kind of interesting, you know, jobs, you know, Steve Jobs is always portrayed as this guy who, you know, he sees the opportunity. He will take full advantage of getting that opportunity done. Um, I'm sure that's just one of many stories, obviously, of, of his life. But, yeah. So that's good that Wozniak was still able to benefit from that whole scenario. Because if he was left shorthanded after all that work, that would be a real shame. And you've seen that plenty of times with businesses as well. Like, people who make, like, I think it was, like, a lady that made the Nike logo sold, like, $10. Something ridiculous like that. So it's good that he was able to make out on it. And I never knew that uh, Steve Jobs as well. You can kind of say like he was like sort of like a beetle. Like, yeah, like having that experience in India and all that. I had no idea about any of this, especially his connection with Atari, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, Jobs really early on, apparently in his life, he was just this like complete like dirtbag hippie, like roaming around the country, roaming around the West Coast, all through Cali you know, going out to India and, you know, having his spiritual journeys and stuff like that. And then kind of coming back just to make enough money to go out and do his next, you know, his next traveling trip or his next journey. But it is interesting how Atari is what kind of locks him back in and kind of grounds him because if he didn't make the money off of breakout, he wouldn't have went, you know, head first into Apple and then, you know, had that money to create the first Apple II and then roll, you know, roll from there, basically. Yeah, now it has become like a multi-billion, if not trillion dollar company. Yeah. Wow. 
and everybody knows Apple. And that's, you know, it's just another one of those reasons why I think that the importance of arcade games is it's there. I mean, that speaks for itself. Without the arcade, without, you know, these little unknown companies at the time, such as Atari, creating these games, you're not going to have these offshoot companies to this mega blockbuster company, Apple. I mean, everyone in the world knows it. Everyone in the world knows that logo. I don't know what the percentages of people who own iPhones, but I'm pretty sure it's way higher than Droid phones, at least in the United States, I'm assuming. I'm sure it's up there. So going back to Breakout, how did Breakout, or at least the iterations of Breakout, uh, like expand over the course of the next 30 years? What, what kind of games can you attribute to the success of Breakout? I know that Super Breakout, something like that. Uh, one of your favorite games, Seamus, is Arkanoid, uh, which yeah. we have in the exhibit, the Arcade Age exhibit here at the museum. Um, what other what other kinds of games were affected or a draw inspiration from that game? That's a good question. I'm going to have to pause because I don't even fucking know. That's fine. Do you know? I'm looking at it here. Super Breakout, Arkanoid. Um, Brick Breaker even on like uh, any of the phones that we had back in the day. 47% of Americans own iPhones. It's interesting. Well, I remember Breakout being on, like, old-ass Nokia. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Brick Breaker. Phones, yeah. Okay, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay, yeah. No, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, Sean, uh, for me, my first exposure to Breakout is actually Arknoid, right? I didn't, you know, I wasn't born yet for Breakout or even Super Breakout, but Arknoid was that modern version of it and that's just a game that, again, very easy to pick up and play. It's a color monitor. There's all these power-ups on it. And people just love that game. I just absolutely love that game. And another thing with Breakout is you see it later on along with another huge success story, uh, Tetris and, uh, you know, Minesweeper. But you see Breakout come preloaded on, on, on phones, you know, across the board. I don't know if it was the 90s or 2000s, but um, I don't know. Jose, can you talk to that? Um, the only thing I really know about the old Nokia phones is that they had Snake on it. Sometimes they would have Breakout. Um, I know Minesweeper wouldn't be on it. Minesweeper was for Windows. Um, I believe it was Windows XP or something like that where they introduced like the right-click function and that's how they got people to right-click on Minesweeper. Um, it was an easier way to teach people how to use that function. Um, for Breakout, I remember that for the Nokia phones, it played similar to what we have upstairs in the arcade cabinets. Um, they weren't all too different. It wasn't like the super breakout port that they had for the Atari and whatnot. Um, the Nokia phones were a lot slower. The frames weren't like pixel perfect. They were kind of laggish. Um, it was a dumbed down version of what we have. Uh, but they were still great to play on the phone, especially since at that time, you pretty much had a cabinet in your pocket, which compared to now, we have a mini computer in our pocket that plays pretty much anything that we want. We can emulate anything that we want on it. 
Um, but yeah, that's all I really have. That's what I was going to mention too, about how like everyone knows what Apple is, but I'm pretty sure a very high percentage of the population around, you know, our age or a little bit older knows and are well aware of the Nokia games that you would play as well. Yeah. That was like my first introduction to games is I was like, you know, four years old. My mom's picking up my brother from like summer school and I'll be in the backseat complaining. She'll give me her phone. I'll be playing like, you know, Breakout, but it'll be on the Nokia. So it had like a different name, but it was the same exact games. And I'm sure that there was a lot of people that played that game in the past. Well, that that goes into what we were talking about last time with Pong. Um, and Breakout is a great example of this as well, where it's not always the most technically impressive game that makes the most impact. It's not always the most advanced or with the most... Uh, chipsets or anything like that or revolutionary it's the ones that are simple to understand simple to play simple to control and breakout just like pong is another one of those where immediately you look at this game you know how to play it it has one dial uh and a button for to serve the ball and that's really it that's all you need to understand well that's the reason why it took off right because it was like one person game like you didn't need two people to play yeah like the the implementation, I get. I guess that feeds into the implementation of the game, right? It's in any medium, like something is. We think of like uh, Nokia's and Razer phones, like all those early cell phones. Uh, they're really simple, and I'm sure the the dynamics behind those phones are are simple compared to what we have today in our pockets. But the implementation, probably, of that game on something so simple, allows it to exist, right? It's it's such a simple concept, like it's easy to program. I'm sure, across the different mediums. So that's kind of what helped lead the game into success. It was just so simple. Thank you for tuning in to the Arcade Age Exhibit Podcast. I hope you enjoyed your time with our hosts, Seamus, Zach, Jake, Sean, Chris, and Jose. Tune in next week, and remember, the future is now.